0: I shared a little bit of my thoughts at a prayer meeting on what I've been meditating on about how God reveals himself as a giving God. And I was reading in Matthew in chapter 10, and in verse 1 it says this. My heart just stopped. And it said, And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave. He gave them power. And we all all know John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. God paid dearly with the life of his son and the highest price he could pay. Jesus accepted our punishment, paid for our sins, and then offered us a new life that he had bought for us. And he offered all of this to everyone for eternity. And just some more in Luke 10, 19, when he commissioned the 70 to go out, it says, behold, I give unto you power. Matthew 13, 11, regarding the understanding of the parables, he said, because it is given unto you. Back in Genesis twelve seven, 7, talk, talking to Abraham, unto thy seed will I give this land. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, I will give you rest. Matthew 16, 19, I will give you the keys to the kingdom. All through the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, we see a God as a giving God to an unworthy and unearned people. And we stop and think about um, God making such statements. It should make us stop and think about his power and authority and love to be able to follow through with giving what he said, with making such, they're incredible statements, really. In many of the gifts that God gives, it requires someone or something to step down, to relinquish their power, to yield to the gift that God has given us. The gift that he gives us oftentimes topples what the enemy wants, what the enemy is doing. The enemy has to submit to the power behind that gift that he gives. In many promises we see in the word his gift that he says, I will give, it displaces or removes the work of the enemy to the faith of the one being prayed for. When he says, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy, the enemy heard it. And because God said it, he knew he had to give up something. Jesus knew he had the authority and the devil knew that Jesus had the authority. Jesus didn't ask the devil, is it okay if I do this? I know you're kind of I know you're meddling in this guy's life. Is it okay if I step in and give him something that's more powerful than yours? He didn't ask him that. And do we see it as something God actually gives to us, like a like a gift in a box? You know, when he sent the 12 out, did he say, John, here's your, your power. Here's your power. Matthew, here's your power. Don't abuse it. In John three eight, it says, "For this purpose was the Son of God manifest, to destroy the work of the evil one." Satan has never ceased to tempt man to sin, but we see here that we have the power given us to resist that temptation he throws our way. So we cannot keep what God came to destroy. We cannot keep doing what God came to destroy. We need to submit to the work of the Holy Spirit to conquer those things that Satan uses to tempt us. You know, I was thinking there's a lot of, an orga- there's a lot of organizations that want you to join them and offer a slew of benefits, you know. They all, but they all want something from you first. Well, yeah, you can join our club. Here's the membership fee. And here's the dues. And you do this. There is some, usually some kind of financial obligation connected to it. And it's usually a two-way street. We have something for you, and you have something that we want. And it's not that way with the Lord, is it? What would we possess that he would want? To ask the question, it even sounds kind of redundant. And as we know, in this church, that God has given us faith to believe for all the temporal things that we need, and even more... And we've been taught well in the promises of Psalm 91 and Mark 11:24 24 and Matthew 6, about seeking the kingdom. But he has more importantly given us himself. And that's what I want to concentrate on this morning. So this is going to be a reminder that we need to keep in correct order or priority regarding the gift and the giver. You know, I've heard it said about the son that it gives us light and heat from 93 million miles away and it does wonderful things you know it makes food to grow it um, grows food that we eat it feeds the animals that we eat with grass and grain it produces vitamin D in our skin it gives us light so we can see each other and his creation so we say I love what I see and I love what I feel and the food that I eat but totally forget where it came from. It is the sun that does all of this. You know, this may be a weak analogy, but do you get the point? Do we just concentrate on the results from the power from above and forget where it came from? <clears throat> and He has given us Himself. And my question to to you. Has been The question has been given to me, do I recognize and value that gift above the temporal gifts that are promised? And the classic scripture to me that Jesus addresses this issue is in John 6, and we're going to be looking in John 6. And as I was studying for this morning, I came across a sermon that talks about this subject, and I'll be referring to it as we go along here. It just made a lot of sense to me. It says... But at the beginning of his um, teaching, he makes a statement that has struck, stuck, struck both. It has struck me and stuck with me. And I want to meditate on it this morning. This is my PTP. Remember what my PTPs are? They're points to ponder. This is my point to ponder. He says something like this. This. Jesus did not come to be useful but to be the pearl of great price. He did not come to be useful, but to be the lost coin that was sought. He did not come to be useful, but to be that living water. He did not come to be useful, but to be the bread of life. He did not come to be useful, but to be that hidden treasure. Matthew Henry says of this treasure, The gospel, the word of God, is the field in which this treasure is hid. Those who value this treasure will never be made content until the purchase is made, until they make it their own upon any terms. He rejoices in it, though the purchase hasn't been yet made. He is glad there is such a bargain to be had. He resolves to buy this field, they who embrace the gospel, to make it their own for the sake of the unseen treasure in it. So intent is he to buy this field that he sells all that he has and he buys it. Is that our experience? Maybe at the time we got saved and we came into this, we really didn't realize what we were signing up for or who we were signing up for. But by this time, most of us here should realize that this is the kind of value that should be placed on Jesus, the giver of gifts. We should place this value on Jesus, the greatest gift to us by the Father. And of the pearl of great price, he says, everyone is seeking a goodly pearl of some kind, some to be rich, others to be noticed, some to be learned, some to be noticed, like I said, some to be famous. These are all counterfeits. A true Christian is a spiritual merchant that finds a pearl of great price and is one that is resolved to be spiritually rich, he trades high. He goes for it. He goes and buys that pearl. This minister went on to say, Jesus did not come into the world to assist you in meeting desires you already had before you were born again. He came into the world to change your desires so that he is the main desire. So now I'm not saying he doesn't supply our needs and even our desires at times, you know, but maybe we should look at our priorities. What gift do we value the most? Do we find ourselves paying a great price or all that we have, money or time, It's usually one or the other for a gift of his, or do we spend the time and the money to purchase his presence and seeking out who he really is? And I think I can come up with a test to help locate us this morning. And this is how I believe the Spirit related it or challenged me with it. When was the last time you prayed to God and left your prayer list at home? You get all alone with God and you say, you're all I want. You're all I need. All I want is fellowship and a closeness and ears to hear what you want to tell me today. Nothing else. I want to walk with you and in the spirit more than anything else. I want your presence and peace more than anything else today. You know, I speak as a fellow learner along with you. Sometimes like I feel like I've been in the stands and not on the track all the time. You know, when I think about this, it sobers me. So let's look at John 6. This is written in three sections or three discourses. The first is the feeding of the loaves and the fishes to the 5,000. We all know the story. We're going to read through it quickly here in a little bit. And the second is this short section of where, we're on the, where they were on the water. And the last section is the sermon on Jesus being, being the bread of life. <clears throat> and almost the whole chapter, he's talking about bread. It's about bread. Bread something they used and needed every day, something they could relate to. The first section is about Jesus giving them bread for their stomachs. And this section relates to the last section. And the last section is about the bread of life, and it refers back to the first section. You know, it's really an amazing passage, the beginning of it. There's 5,000 people following him, sitting on the mountain, And at the end, let's make him king. 24 hours later, he says, he explains who the bread really is. Let's crucify him. In a 24-hour period. Because we all know at the end of that, it says, from that time, many walked no more with him. You know, it's kind of always been that way. When people see miracles and signs, they say, We've found our Messiah. But when Jesus tells them what it will be like to follow Jesus here on the earth, many, many walk away and they still do. They still do today. When Jesus was useful to them, they wanted to crown him king. When he told them he was the bread of life, they had to eat him They wanted to crucify him. So let's read in John 6. I'm going to read 1 through 14. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain and sat there with his disciples. And the Passover a feast of the Jews was near. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come to him, he said to Philip, When shall we buy food or bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he knew what he would do. And Peter answered him, Two hundred pennyworth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother, said unto him, There is a lad here which has five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, in number about five thousand. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples. The disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto the disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained, over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet, that should come into the world. So here we have the story. We've read this many times. All these people were following Jesus because of the miracles he is doing. And the crowd is about the size of a third of Shelbyville. And Jesus asked them, how are we going to feed this many people? He is telling them he is interested in. In their physical needs and wants to meet them. And so here we have a lad who is offering them his lunch, which is about the size of two bags from Kroger's, two plastic bags from Kroger's is going to feed a third of Shelbyville. It says in verse six that he already knew what he was going to do, but he asked them anyway. Where can we get enough food to feed all these people? He knew they didn't have the resources to meet the need. We are so apt to detrust, distrust God when we see our resources are not able to meet the need. And I'm not only speaking of physical needs, but of spiritual needs. Have you ever heard in your mind, you don't have the money to do that? You don't have the patience. You don't have the love. You don't have the knowledge. You don't have the intelligence. You don't have the personality to do the task at hand. Could he be asking them and wanting to make sure they knew that in their flesh, in their humanness, they are, we are, usually insufficient for the task at hand. Our resources are not usually enough. So then he asked them to sit down. We know the story. And what stands out to me in these these phrases in verses 11 through 14 are words like this. As much as they would, they were filled. Gather up the extra. Over and above. To me, that really speaks of God's Abundance. He didn't say, okay, now if we all share, only take two pieces, you know, only take one, we won't have. It's his abundance. And sometimes we forget, I mean, you know, we're asking for, and his ability is this. And we'll see that all of this is pointing to Jesus and who he is in the last section or the last part of the chapter. So he has fed the 5,000 and the people are so excited that this man can give them anything and everything they need. Surely he can overthrow the Romans and get us out from underneath their feet. Let's have Jesus be our king. He can keep our bellies full and we don't even have to work for it. He can give us that car. He can give us that on and on and on and on. He is really useful to us. Jesus doesn't want that kind of disciple. Kind of the transition of the chapter is verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me, not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled He's trying to make the transition of the bread that you were just fed is who he is. It's not the tangible bread. It's a person. Jesus wanted to be king of their hearts and souls, not an earthly king to sit on the throne. They wanted him king because he could feed them without them working for it. They were seeking him for what he did, not for who he was. And then this next section of him, you know, he goes up into the mountain and the disciples get in their boat. They're going to go to the other side. So we kind of have this miracle sandwiched, excuse the pun on words, between the bread that he fed them and the bread they were to eat. So the disciples found themselves in uh, predicament and they had no control over it. It came suddenly It doesn't say anything about chastisement. Fear came with it. Clouds and darkness sometimes surround the children of God, doesn't it? Life has a way of revealing to each of us we can't do this on our own. We can't control things to make life a bed of roses around us. So we are all in a boat of sorts. I call it the boat of life. And we're all in a boat you're in a boat you're in a boat you're in a boat I've got my issues you've got your issues you have your storms I have my storms we all know the times we are when we are in the middle of the seas and waves are coming up over the side of the boat of life. We are tempted to give up and say, what's the use? Just let the boat of life have its course. If it wrecks, it wrecks. In Mark 6 about this account, he says, he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary. He was up on the mountain. He could actually see them. They didn't know it. This says to me that Jesus sees us in our boat of life even when we sometimes forget he does. I think we forget in our toiling and rowing, rowing contrary to the wind, when we're in our trials, when we don't think he's around to help us, his eye is on us. As far as the disciples knew, he was still in the mountain praying, oblivious to their situation, but he wasn't. He had his eyes on them, And knew it all. And he came at an appointed time. Why didn't he keep them from the storm? Why didn't he keep them smooth sailing? He had the power to do that. For some reason, he waited until they were afraid. Fear of not getting out of this situation. Fear of a loss of life. It was too far to swim back. To the shore. He was exhibiting to the disciples another one of his gifts that comes when making him their supreme gift, the bread of life. So, what we need, what this says to me, is we need Jesus in our boat. What we need is a relationship with Jesus that we can know and abide in a closeness that is stronger than the fear that comes. That tries to arise in our trials. And I believe that is what he is talking about in the rest of the chapter. That we must partake of him. So again, verse 26 is our transition verse. He starts making the difference between the bread of the 5,000 to himself as the living bread. Him being the bread of life and eating him would result in eternal life where you will never die. He says, you are seeking me for the wrong reasons. He tells them, you are seeking me because I filled your stomachs. You are seeking me because I am useful to you. Their excitement was that Jesus could take away their hunger, not take away their sins. And as long as we would as long as he would feed their bodies they thought he was great. They wanted to make him their king. While he was and while he spent much time ministering and saving their bodies the real purpose was to save their souls. Then the last half of the chapter and I'm just going to go through the the words that he he says it's a whole His whole sermon is on "I am the bread." In verse thirty-two, it talks about the true bread. Verse thirty-three, and here's he—he's explaining this first part of him being able to divide that bread, the two bags of bread, to the five thousand. Now he's talking about he is able to do that to every one of them, but he is the bread of life. He's not the bread that will last you till the next meal. He's the everything. In verse 32, it says, he talks about the true bread. Verse 33, bread of God is he which cometh. Verse 35, I am the bread of life. Verse 41, I am the bread of life. Verse 48, I am that bread. Verse 51, I am that living bread. Verse 58, this is that bread. He's asking them, seek me like you, like you sought me on the mountain. You sought me for your physical sustenance. Seek me for your eternal sustenance. And there's a recurring word here, and Jesus is revealing what is meant by eating his flesh Um, And they asked him in verse 29, well, verse 28. Then said they unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God that ye believe on him whom he has sent. So verse 29 says, this is the work of God that you believe. Verse 35. He that believes on me shall never thirst. Verse 40. Everyone that seeth the Son and believes on him. Verse 47. He that believeth on me has eternal life. All that he was asking them to do was to believe on him. That he was their Messiah. That he was the promised one. They ask what they could do. And religious, religions of the world have been trying to answer that question ever since. No amount of work can make you acceptable to Jesus. Satisfying God does not come from the work we do, but from in whom we believe. We all know the importance of bread for our physical lives, its importance to maintain life. Jesus wanted them and us today to realize the importance of him in our spiritual lives to maintain spiritual life. We die spiritually without him. And we can become spiritually emaciated without consuming him. Every, everyone knows the importance of food, In their lives, start a fast if you forget your bodies need food. It'll be a real quick reminder. Everyone knows what it means or what it will mean to go without food. Everyone could relate to this analogy. We can sustain spiritual life only by maintaining a right relationship with Jesus. And I thought it was interesting, in Matthew 4.4, it says this. But he answered and said, it is written, this is the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. And he's answering the devil. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And then in Luke 4, 4, Matthew 4, 4, Luke 4, 4, it's almost the exact same verse. And I'm in Mark. In Luke 4, 4, and Jesus answered him saying, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. It's almost... Word for word there. It's the account of Satan tempting Jesus in the wilderness. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. This is Jesus refuting the devil's temptation. And he's using um, the same weapon, the word of God, by the same thought as he was telling the people here in John 6. This is how you live. This is how you. It's the word of God. Where else do we hear about the bread and the blood? Is at the institution of the Lord's supper. So let's turn to Matthew 26. And verse 26. Matthew 26 verse 26 I think I have that right And as they were eating Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said Take eat this is my body This is the pivotal transition between closing the Old Testament sacrifice of the animal to the New Testament sacrifice of the Lamb of God in offering his blood and body. The former one was going to close forever, and the new one was going to run for the full course for as long as the earth remains. The Lamb of God has come to pay the price for all mankind at this festival, this Passover, this time in history. Because it says in verse 28, For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Before this, the blood was always represented by the blood of animals. And after the cross, it was represented by the blood of the vine or the grape juice. But at this supremely pivotal point in history, it was time for the actual true lamb to be spilt for the blood of the lamb to be spilt to pay for all the prior sins back to Adam and the future sins to the last man that would repent on earth he says take eat this is my body drink for this is my blood I wonder if any of the disciples brought thought back to what he said in John 6 which was an earlier time and said this is what he was talking about You know, this church has always had an emphasis on the Word of God. It has always been the focal point of its mission for as long as I've been here. You know, it's always been that way. It has always taken on a stand on the Word's importance and authority in our lives and sometime in the face of community disapproval, if need be. How else do we know God and partake of Him without learning about who he is and what he wants us to be like. So let's ask ourselves, are we tired of eating his flesh? Are we weary of partaking of the bread of life? When the pastor talks of the cost of disciple, do we shrink back and say, I don't know if I want to pay that cost. Do we say as those that follow Jesus say here, ooh, that's a hard saying. And a portion of our minds walk no more with him. So in the end, you know, we don't have to know the future. How will it end, how will it end for us? But we do need to know God. We don't have to know how things will ever get straightened out in Washington, how officials will return to statesmanship and civility, but we do need to know God. We don't have to know the outcome of the kneeling issue in the NFL, but we do need to know God. We don't have to know how the next Supreme Court justice will be and how all that will happen. But we do need to know God. We don't need to know when the next stock market will crash, if there is one. We don't need to know when that is. But we do need to know God. We don't have to know all the answers and the whys of recent church issues we have faced in the last while. But we do need to know God. Have we made Jesus just useful? What must we do to do the works of God? Believe on him whom he has sent. That's what he's asking us to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your presence this morning and the worship. Meeting with us together again, Lord, and I I pray that you would bless our pastor's time um, In Missouri, and I ask you to bless his trip back, give him safety And everyone And the families that are represented here today, Lord, I ask that you would um, Give us that newness, give us that grace To see you who you really are again, and Kind of set things down and take stock about what our pearl of great price is and what it should be. Father, we thank you for our time spent together, Lord, and we ask you to, again, bless our day, keep everybody safe, Lord, in Jesus' name.